I'd like for us to begin with a reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the first six verses, and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Now, in regard to spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware. You know how, when you were pagans, you were constantly attracted and led away to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that nobody speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different forms of service, but the same Lord. There are different workings, but the same God, who produces all of them in everyone. Let us pray. Most merciful God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of all, working in all. We ask you now to pour forth your Holy Spirit upon us, that we, with your servant St. Thomas Aquinas and our doctor, may be able to come to have a greater understanding of every truth. We make this prayer in the name of Jesus, and we pray as he taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This talk is entitled, St. Thomas Aquinas on All Truth, Whoever Says It, Comes from the Holy Spirit. And I'm helped in this talk, especially with two sources, uh, besides, of course, St. Thomas. One is Father Serge Tomabonino. He has a beautiful article in Prévue Thomiste from the year 2006, precisely on this uh, title, uh, so he traces the different aspects of what we're going to look at within Thomas's thinking. And then also an essay by Sister Mary Magdalene of the Immaculate Conception, a uh, contemplative cloistered Dominican nun in Washington, D.C. And uh, within the cloisters, sometimes our sisters write essays, and she wrote a, a wonderful essay that was very uh, eye-opening for me. Now, in terms of this talk, I'd like for it to be divided into three areas. First, in terms of what this quotation means. Uh, then, in terms of how St. Thomas receives it. And then, some of the ways that we can think about how it can be helpful for us today in our lives. Okay, so, what's the quotation? St. Thomas cites a patristic quotation that he thinks is from St. Ambrose 16 times. Okay, so 16 times. It's significant. Uh, it typifies this theology and, have, and can have great relevance for us. Uh, every truth, by whomever it is said, is from the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the real origin? Okay, so sometimes people think, uh, okay, so St. Thomas thought it was by Ambrose. Who was this person? Because it was discovered that it wasn't by Ambrose. Now, uh, it was by someone that we call Ambrosiaster. Okay. So Ambrosiaster is a name given to this author of commentaries on St. Paul's letters. And in this passage that I read at the beginning of the talk from 1 Corinthians 12, uh, this character, okay, this, he, he was actually a priest in the Church of Rome during the pontificate of St. Damasus. Okay, so he was probably writing around the year 380. Uh, he, uh, on that passage... Uh, comments, uh, 
where it says, Therefore I tell you that nobody speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be accursed, and none can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. This person that we call Ambrosiaster writes, Quid quid enum verum a hucumque dicitur, a sancta dicitur spiritu. Okay, so he writes, For whatever truth is said by anyone, it is said by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so... Uh, this phrase enters into a scholastic tradition. Peter Lombard, who in the 12th century collected together various opinions of the fathers of the church, and it's called the four books of the sentences, he quotes this. He has a slight variation on it. And so from Peter Lombard, we get the phrase that is usually appearing in St. Thomas, and that is, Omne verum a cocunque ducitur a spiritus sancto est. So every truth by whomever it is said, is from the Holy Spirit. Now, in terms of this Ambrosiaster, occasionally uh, you may find uh, someone say, well, uh, the guy got his name, Ambrosiaster, from the 16th century uh, Erasmus, the great scholar of texts, the great humanist, um, and someone, uh, someone will, will say that. Okay. Well, uh, uh, various studies have been done, and later studies said, no, 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 the one who came up with the name, because Erasmus actually didn't come up with the name, uh, would be the Benedictine editors of this congregation of St. Maur in France in the late 17th century. Okay, And then they say, huh, you know, it wasn't Erasmus, it was the Maurists. Uh, a more recent article now says uh, it wasn't uh, that, but it was by uh, Franciscus Lucas Brugensis, in 1580, a professor in Leuven, okay? It doesn't really matter that much. We don't even know who the guy is, okay? But Ambrosiaster, uh, some will say uh, it's Ambrose and then the Latin word for star in terms of something beautiful. But actually, when you look at uh, the 16th century usage, it probably means the fake one, the imitation, uh, the one who doesn't measure up to Ambrose, okay? So... Uh, so this is where, just in terms of, of uh, getting to an, uh, a quotation about truth, what's the truth here? Okay, we don't know who the guy is, other than he's certainly a priest in the Church of Rome during the time of St. Damasus, okay, riding around the year 380. Now, Thomas uh, thinks uh, much of this phrase, okay? So even though he doesn't know anything about Ambrosiaster as Ambrosiaster, he just thinks it's Ambrose, he thinks it's a really good phrase. And I'd like for us just to pause now to think, what does it mean? What does it mean for you? Every truth by whomever it is said is from the Holy Spirit. How do you take that? What does it mean? Okay, so I want you to think about how, uh, what relevance this could have. Every truth by whomever it is said is from the Holy Spirit. Right now, what I want us to do uh, in terms of the second part of the talk is to go through just some of the 16 times that St. Thomas uses it so we can see why did he use it, okay? Oftentimes with a patristic quotation, it would not only give an answer, but a problem, okay? So there are all sorts of problems uh, that can come to us, and then it's like, well, what does this mean? How should it be understood, okay? So that's why it's so important for us to be able to think. Uh, it doesn't just give, say, one answer and... Okay, that's done. But the, that it calls us to think about, uh, about what is true here. Okay, so we're getting back into very deep things about the very essence of truth. 
Now, uh, I'd like for us to work through some of the nitty-gritty of St. Thomas's way of using it, okay? So that way you get a taste for his way of arguing, uh, and then we'll step back and then have these principles that can be helpful for us, and these principles are Thomistic in the third part of the talk. But now in the second part of the talk, here are a few instances from it. One question, which is from the, uh, his commentary or scriptum on the first book of the sentences from Peter Lombard, is when he asks the question, is knowing something evil from the Holy Spirit? Is knowing something evil from the Holy Spirit? Okay, so he writes, although evil is not caused by God, God does, not, God does lead us to know what is true and good, and so to be able to know what is false and evil. Okay, so he then, uh, this is the quotation from Aquinas, it must be said that although evil is not a good, nor is it from God, Nonetheless, to understand an evil is good, and it is from God. And therefore, the truth, which consists in the commensuration of the intellect to the existing privation outside the soul, is good, and is from God. Okay, so notice then, in terms of uh, this distinction here, the question is, is knowing something evil good? Uh, 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 or is it evil to know something evil? And St. Thomas uses this, this uh, line from Ambrosiaster, or Ambrose, this line to be able to work through the idea of every truth by whomever is said is from the Holy Spirit. And so even knowing something that is wrong, something that is, corruption, that is a corruption, is a good, and that's from God. Okay? Because God is not the author of evil. God is the author of good. All right? And, and, uh, and you can think about this in terms of how evil is parasitic. So you don't have something as a pure evil, but you ha have an evil that is corrupting a good. And to be able to know that, okay, to know it, is, uh, is something from God. Okay? So, uh, so it helps us to think about how we are called to know things that are evil in a certain sense. Uh, and that that comes from God. Another question uh, from uh, his work on the first book of the sentences is, is everyone enlightened by the word? Okay, so go back to John chapter 1. So John chapter 1, uh, when you go to uh, verse 9, uh, says, A man named John was sent from God. He came for testimony to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Okay, verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. So do you see how a question could come up? Is the true light enlightening every single person? And then is that is the word, then... Okay, at work in every single person. If so, how? Uh, so St. Thomas says, This does not say that no one is not illuminated, but that no one is illuminated except by him, the true light. This is understood about the light of grace. But if this saying about the light is taken to mean about a natural understanding, then absolutely he illuminates every human being, because according to Ambrose, okay, Every, every truth by whomever is said is from the Holy Spirit. 
Okay, do you see how here then the distinction is that God has given everybody a light. Every human being has what uh, the intellect, okay, sh- the intellect in a sense shines on things and that you can see because we're rational, we're able to understand. That in itself is a light. You know, every human being is a rational animal and so has that potential uh, to be able to understand. Well, that uh, is a light of knowledge, okay, which is a truth. It's not the same as the light of faith, which is another kind of truth. Okay? So what St. Thomas does is he wants to show how uh, that there are two different levels here. A light in terms of just being human, and God is the creator of that light, or also the light of faith uh, that is given uh, to humans who believe, who believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. And so then to be able to think about how uh, that light of faith is also from God. Okay, so St. Thomas then just wants to make that distinction. Now, uh, going on into the second book of the sentences and St. Thomas's work there, he gives the objection concerning the question whether man is able to know something without grace. Okay, so do you need grace to know something? Okay, so uh, does everybody who, uh, who knows, uh, is, is grace at work there? And uh, the objection, it seems that without grace, man is able to know nothing true. First, because of what is said in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one is able to say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. On this, Ambrose says that every truth by whomever it is said is from the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit does not dwell in us except through grace. Therefore, no truth can be said or known without grace. Okay, so do you see that that's an objection? Okay, um, that everybody then would have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit within them as grace. And St. Thomas replies by making a distinction concerning God's powers in nature and in grace. And when you go to the Summa's uh, use of this in the Prima Secunde question 109, Article 7, reply to the first objection, St. Thomas says, Every truth by whomever is spoken is from the Holy Spirit, just as, as from one bestowing the natural light and moving to understand and speak the truth, but not necessarily because of an indwelling presence through grace. Okay, so you see then how, in terms of emphasizing that, uh, that the natural light is God-given, and you don't need grace to have, um, to have this understanding of, say, 1 plus 1 equals 2. Okay? You don't need grace to be able to do that. Uh, but you do need God. Why? Because you're created by God. Uh, uh, he has given you a natural light. All right. Uh, in terms of further fun with St. Thomas, uh, in terms of the nitty-gritty, he asks the question about the halo owed to martyrs. Okay? So in terms of how uh, different saints will have different kinds of halos, okay, so, you know, the people are resplendent in heaven for their different uh, lives of charity here on earth. Well, what about uh, someone who dies for the truth? Does that person get a martyr's halo? Okay, do you see in terms of, uh, of the truth? So the objection more, but just as the truth of faith is from God, so also any truth, any other truth is from God, as Ambrose says. 
that every truth by him ever it is spoken is from the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if to those suffering death for the truth of the faith a halo is owed, by the same reason it should be for those suffering death for any other truth. And then, but that doesn't seem right. Okay? So, uh, so here's the reply. Uh, to the tenth objection, it must be said that the truth of faith has Christ for its end and for its object, and therefore a confession of him merits a halo if there should be added punishment, not only from the part of the end, but also from the part of its matter. But the confession of any other truth is not a sufficient cause for martyrdom by reason of its matter, but only from the reason of the end. Okay? Um, so he says, for example, someone were previously to prefer to be killed rather than speaking any lies as to sin against him. The point is that um, people can die for the truth, can be killed for the truth. The question is, is it really Christ explicitly by faith uh, that is motivating them? Okay? Because I could die, I, you know, I could go, you know, I, I could die for the truth that one plus one equals two. Okay, right? Okay. And, uh, and that could be admirable because, you know, there'd be, there could be societies where just basic truths are dangerous and people are willing to be killed for basic truths. And, and that can be a very good thing, but it doesn't make one a martyr in the technical sense of a Christian martyr. Now, the longest passage here, uh, and our last one that's an explicit passage from uh, St. Thomas before we get into uh, these seven principles uh, that we can apply for our lives, is, his, is in his commentary on 1 Corinthians 12. Okay, So he gives 16 of these instances, and I've just chosen a few of these. But I wanted you to see something of how he thinks scripturally. So in terms of 1 Corinthians 12, the very passage that began the talk. Then when he says, and, and no one, he mentions the second effect of grace, namely that without it, man cannot perform a good work. He says, therefore, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. But against this seems to be the fact that by the Holy Spirit, man is introduced to the kingdom of heaven. As it says in Psalm 143, your good spirit leads me along the right path. The Lord, however, says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 7. Therefore, not everyone who says Jesus is Lord, or Lord Jesus, says it in the Holy Spirit. The answer is that saying something in the Holy Spirit can be understood in two ways. Okay, so here's the, the important distinction. In one way, in the Holy Spirit is moving, but is not possessed. Okay, so in terms of the Holy Spirit could be prompting us to say something, but the Holy Spirit isn't residing by grace. For the Holy Spirit moves the hearts of certain people to speak, although he does not dwell in them, as it says in John, that in predicting the utility of the Lord's death, Caiaphas did not speak from himself, but through the spirit of prophecy. Okay, so Caiaphas, the, whole, the high priest, remember what he said, you know, it's better for one to die than for the whole nation. And then John the Evangelist comments, he spoke this not on his own, but because he was high priest at the time. So, um, so that Caiaphas then is saying something, but he doesn't realize, uh, and he doesn't have the Spirit dwelling with him by grace. He's just saying it. It's very interesting, by the way, St. Thomas uses the example of Caiaphas to talk about what we would call papal infallibility. Okay, Because uh, uh, when he looks at canonizations, okay, so uh, very soon we're going to celebrate the canonization of John Henry Newman, uh, the first rector here at University College Dublin. Um, and so that uh, has traditionally been considered uh, an infallible act. Okay, so in terms of uh, when someone uh, is canonized by the Pope, okay, um, 
does the Pope need to be in a state of grace to canonize? No. Okay, the Pope actually does this by his authority as being Pope. Okay, do you see the difference? Because sometimes people uh, don't see the difference between having, you know, uh, having the state of grace and holding a holy office. Okay? Uh, now, um, St. Thomas continues here in this passage on 1 Corinthians 12. Balaam also predicted many true things, but moved by the Holy Spirit, as it says in Numbers, although he did not possess him. Okay, so Balaam uh, was that non-Israelite prophet in uh, Numbers, uh, chapters 23 and 24, who had the various predictions. Okay, uh, uh, so, uh, and then he also even had a, t- uh, a talking donkey. Okay, so he's traveling along, and the donkey see- sees the angel of the Lord, and the donkey uh, then is beaten by, uh, by Balaam, uh, this, uh, uh, this non-Israelite prophet. And, you know, I think he's is beaten three times. And, uh, and finally, the, the donkey stops and, and starts talking. Okay. Right. So, uh, is, the do- is the donkey, by the way, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit to say something true? Okay. Because the donkey is then saying, don't you see the angel of the Lord? Okay. So it's like, it's like a, a, a comic or comedic uh, episode, uh, but notice how neither the donkey nor this non-Israelite prophet has uh, the Holy Spirit in terms of, a, of an abiding presence by grace. Okay? So uh, the prophet is just considered to be used uh, in terms of being moved, uh, this non-Israelite prophet. According to this, therefore, it must be understood that no one can say anything true unless moved by the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth, of whom it is said in John chapter 16, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Hence, Ambrose says in a gloss, every truth by whomever spoken is from the Holy Spirit. Now, this applies especially to matters of faith, which are had by a special revelation of the Holy Spirit. Among these is the fact that Jesus is Lord of them all. Hence it says in Acts chapter 2, Let the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. In another way, someone speaks in the Holy Spirit, moving and possessed. Okay, so you see how this is the second of the two distinctions? So not only is the Holy Spirit at work in terms of someone saying something true, but the Holy Spirit is residing in that person's soul, filling that person's soul in grace, and so that person then is, um, has the possession of the Holy Spirit. And according to this, what is said here can be verified, but in such a way that to speak refers not only to the mouth, but also to the heart and the deed. The heart and the deed. For something is said by the heart, as in Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But something is said by deed, inasmuch as someone by an external work manifests his thought. No one, therefore, except by having the Holy Spirit, can say, Jesus is Lord, in such a way that he confesses this not only by the mouth, but also with the heart, reveres him as Lord, and in work obeys him as Lord. Okay? So, again, it goes back to uh, this comment on 1 Corinthians chapter 12. No one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, then to be able to think about how, well, actually... You know, if you give this someone, you could give it in, on one hand to a non-believer, okay, and the person could read uh, uh, the words, "Jesus is Lord." Okay, uh, did that make that person Christian? Okay. No, he's reading something from a page. Or, in terms of a Christian, could a Christian still be a Christian and believe, um, but actually not have the Spirit within his or her soul in terms of uh, a grace that's possessed? 
Yeah, it's possible. People um, can say things uh, uh, and, and not be in the life of charity. So St. Thomas then says, uh, it's when the Holy Spirit resides in the soul and then uh, is uh, in, the, in the mouth, in the soul, and in the deed, in terms of a person's life. Okay, because then that shows forth grace at work. Okay, now, so these are just some of the instances from St. Thomas. And what I've done now is I've articulated seven principles that I'd like for us to think about in terms of our lives. Okay, because we have complicated lives. And uh, this principle, every truth by whomever it is said is from the Holy Spirit, can be an organizing principle for us. And it can be actually helpful for the problems in our lives. So I'm going to look at it in seven different directions, and they're all Thomistic, and you've heard some of these things, but just to, to get them uh, in, an, in an orderly fashion. Now, the first one is, God is the source of all being, truth, and goodness. Okay, let's just think about that. God, the first one, God is the source of all being, truth, and goodness. Uh, let's go back to uh, Genesis. Okay, uh, God created, and then he pronounced it good. Everything that is, is good. And so, then everything that exists, in some way, has God as its source. Everything that exists, in some way, is good. Uh, and then to think about how uh, truth is the goodness of the intellect, okay? So in terms of that you can desire all sorts of good things, you can know all sorts of good things, and then to be able to see that uh, it then comes back to God, okay? The Blessed Trinity is the one God who is the source of everything, okay? Everything that is, everything that's true, everything that's good, Right, so uh, uh, St. Thomas, when he asks a question in his disputed questions, the De Veritate on truth, in question one on article eight, he asks, is every truth from the first truth? And of course he goes to our, our favorite passage right there. And he says that uh, he makes various distinctions. He says, every good and every form is from God. One must say, without any qualification, that every truth is from God. Okay? So, so then you just think about all the different kinds of truth and all the kinds of things that exist, all the kinds of things that are good. All that goes back to God. Okay? And, uh, and that can be very helpful because uh, there are all sorts of truths that maybe we just don't think, oh, God is behind that truth. If it's true, God is behind it. The second principle is God gives both nature and grace, and grace presupposes and perfects a rational nature. Okay? God gives both nature and grace, and grace presupposes and perfects a rational nature. Now, nature has an inherent goodness, and uh, Adam's fall, okay, so in terms of his original sin that was committed and the original sin that we've inherited, um, this has not corrupted to such an extent that human nature is completely evil. Okay, so we are you know, by original sin. There is a lack 
of, 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 of a first grace. Um, but to be able to think about how nature is there and it's good. Again, go back to Genesis chapter 1. Everything that is, is good. Okay? Then how grace presupposes a nature. You don't have a grace without a nature. Okay? There's no such thing as a floating grace. Grace elev- heals and elevates uh, a rational soul. You know, a grace heals and elevates us. So then to be able to see how, uh, how the Holy Spirit, okay, so every truth by whomever said is from the Holy Spirit, that we can understand that from the level of nature and from the level of grace. And then to be able to see how the Holy Spirit is the Creator Spirit. Okay, so there's uh, uh, the Latin hymn, Veni Creator Spiritus. Okay, come Creator Spirit. Uh, in a hymn that uh, I uh, grew up singing, uh, Come Holy Ghost, Creator blessed, and in our hearts take up thy rest. Come with thy grace and heavenly aid to fill the hearts which thou hast made. Okay, so, so to be able to think about, oh, the Holy Spirit is the creator of all nature. Okay, the creator. And it's that spirit who's the sanctifier. Okay, so he's the one who comes and who empowers, who heals, elevates, divinizes, deifies us. Okay, so how wonderful that is. And then to see how, um, in terms of our lives, that we who came into the world without grace uh, are graced by the blood of Jesus, uh, and then uh, that uh, we are meant for glory. Okay? So I mentioned Jesus, and I'd like for us uh, to go back to a line that St. Augustine loved in the Pelagian controversies. So the Pelagian controversies were about grace, and uh, St. Augustine loved from John 15, without me you can do nothing. Okay? So what do you think that means? Without me you can do nothing. For Augustine, he repeatedly means that uh, without me you can do nothing, that it's about every good work uh, is... is um, is a fruit of grace. Okay, um, all good works that we do actually are themselves mo- motivated by God, and that the merits themselves that God's gifts okay, that God gives are precisely His gifts. When Saint Thomas Aquinas hears, "Without me, you can do nothing," he actually has something in mind prior to grace, nature. He goes back to John chapter one, the prologue. Without him, nothing came to be. So everything that is, everything that is in the world, came to be through the Word. And then you can think about how in the life of grace, uh, that we are uh, completely dependent upon him, the Word made flesh. All right, so, so that was number two. The third principle we can be open to finding elements of truth in all sorts of places, as there is no such thing as pure falsity nor pure evil. So I mentioned that uh, uh, the parasitic quality of evil and falsehood, and I'd like for us to to think about this a little bit more. Um, Evil needs something good, and falsity needs something true. Right, so uh, in terms of sometimes people talk about you know an evil person, well, Satan, okay, Lucifer, okay, uh, uh, he's good in his being. 
God made him good. He actually can't take his being away from himself. He can't. And God made him to be good. Do you see how uh, the one who is so corrupt, so evil, actually was made so good? And there's always something of that goodness that perdures forever and ever. And he can't take that away from himself. Okay? Or let's take a statement in terms of a truth. Okay? Uh, let's see. <clears throat> John Henry Newman, who will soon be canonized, was the first rector of Trinity College, Dublin. Err! That's false. Okay? Um, uh, and think about how any part of a statement that is false renders the statement to be false, right? So any little part of a, of, of, of a statement that is false makes the statement false. Just like in terms of a human act, uh, a moral act, if there's some aspect of the moral act that is not, that's not good, that's actually evil, it renders the human act to be evil. Because you need all the things of a human act to be good for the human act to be good, and just like you need every little part of a phrase of a sentence to be true in order for it to be a true statement. Okay. Well, how is uh, so? What's true about this? Okay. Well, because we know John Henry Newman was the first rector of this institution where we are now, University College Dublin. Uh, so, so then to be able to think, okay, well, actually, John Henry Newman, by having that name, it's true. He has a name. It's intelligible to you. John Henry Newman. Okay? Who will soon be canonized. Okay? That's true, too. Uh, he was a rector. Okay? But he was not the first rector of Trinity College, Dublin. Okay? That, that college was founded during the reign of Elizabeth I. Okay? So, the statement is false, but the falsity actually adheres in elements of... There are elements of truth there. Okay, so there's no statement, in a sense, that's completely, completely false. Even gibberish, in some sense, has some quality of, of, of a truthfulness in terms of its just simple existence. Okay, number four. We can have a unified understanding of our world and of our life. We can have a unified understanding of our world and of our life. And I'd like for us to take the example of a student. All right, so this really is in terms of how a comprehensive worldview where everything comes together, okay? Everything comes together in God, okay? So, uh, there is a group of people uh, that sometimes are called the Latin Averroists, okay? I do not want to get into the details of, of uh, 13th century scholasticism here and whether or not they really held this, but they are typified by the double, uh, double truth theory. Have you ever heard of this? In the double truth theory, what you believe by faith is one thing, and you could hold by reason the opposite. Okay? Not just something complementary, but the opposite. Okay? So it would make someone very split. Actually, uh, people have split lives all the time today. Okay? If we just take uh, of, uh, faith and reason... There are some people who will uh, go into, uh, say, the Catholic Church at Easter and will sing Alleluia with the best of them. Um, and then uh, if you talk to them, uh, they say, well, yes, I, you know, I, I was baptized Catholic and I, 
uh, and I in some way associate with the Catholic Church, but uh, by really, uh, like, uh, there's no such thing as an immortal soul, and uh, we're not going to rise from the dead. Someone could think about this and uh, basically say, um, you know, Jesus died. Uh, Everybody dies. Everybody dies, and Jesus did not rise. Okay, that's what that's what some people actually um, can think is that the it's like a it's a helpful story. Okay, so then how something can be reinterpreted to be able to have some coherence, but other times people will just have very split lines. Um, so that's a rather stark. Uh, Separation in terms of matters of faith and reason. Um, but you can think about how in the life of a student, uh, a student may be uh, very studious in the classroom, and let's take a, someone who's studying law. Okay, So, so someone uh, is uh, hard at work, and wants, uh, wants to be a good lawyer. Okay, That's great. Uh, but if that person then uh, is uh, then a completely different person outside the classroom, Okay, so let's say uh, the person is just uh, uh, partying. On Saturday night, uh, I'm not uh, concerned about becoming a lawyer. I have no interest in law on Saturday night. Okay, and I don't, uh, and, I, uh, am I, and I'm a different person. I want to have a different character in my life. Okay, all sorts of people want to have different kinds of character, role-playing, or pretending. You know, I want to be someone other than I am, you know, for one part of life or anything. Right, so people have all sorts of divisions in their life. Um, well, with this, we can have a unified understanding of our world and our life that when you have, uh, say, the, um, uh, the law student, he's not reading about God, or is he? Because if he is reading things that are true, it's in some way about God. You take a student, um, she's an engineering major, and she um, uh, is not seeing this in relation to God. But if she just takes the principle, every truth by whomever is said is from the Holy Spirit, can see, oh, I can pray for the Holy Spirit's guidance. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and let the fire of thy love burn within them. You know, before studying, you know, pray, asking for the Holy Spirit's help during study, giving glory to God after the study. To be able to see these connections, that 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 study uh, is not just simply something secular, but has been taken up to the Holy Spirit. Okay, that the person then, the engineering student or the law student, uh, that these people then can see, oh, I uh, that the Holy Spirit as is at work because I'm learning the truth. The Holy Spirit is at work. Because I'm learning the truth. Okay? And then how that same Holy Spirit is the spirit uh, uh, of having fun with friends. Okay? Uh, uh, and even if you, you know, God forbid, have some sort of debauchery. You know, God is still there. Okay? Because there's always something true. There's always something good at work. Okay? Okay. It could be evil. It could be false. But remember... There's no such thing as an evil without a good, and there's no such thing as a falsity without some truth. Number five, we can have the courage to be in dialogues with those who disagree with us. 
we can have the courage to be in dialogues with those who disagree with us. Sometimes uh, people will have divisions between fundamentalists and relativists. A fundamentalist would believe that, uh, you know, fundamentalists say, we have all the truth, and those people don't have it. Okay? Fundamentalists, we have all the truth, we have it, those people don't. Relativists, truth, I have my truth, you have your truth, uh, uh, you know, we could share, uh, but, uh, um, and by the way, if someone upsets this, if someone disagrees with me, this principle, well, that is forbidden, okay? Because actually, in terms of consistency, relativists would need to have a certain principle that uh, something against relativism would not be allowed, okay? So do you see how fundamentalists and relativists come at this from two opposing angles, And if someone says, every truth by whomever is said is from the Holy Spirit, gee, where does the truth come from? God. Um, And everything that is true comes from God. Then you can see how you can actually uh, be able to establish some sort of common ground. Okay, so let's take in terms of, uh, you know, so-and-so is so opposed to my position. All right? Fine. What do you agree on? Uh, do you, uh, because there are certain basics that need to be established by common ground. St. Thomas Aquinas loved the principle of the common ground. So for us to be able to make some advancement, you need to think about what we share, and then to be able to think about where we differ. But if you don't establish the common ground, then you're actually going to talk past one another. Okay. So if you put this within an alphabet... If you're uh, arguing about QRS, okay, later in the alphabet, but you don't have uh, C, D, E in common, okay, uh, well, you're just going to talk past one another. You need to be able to say, oh, okay, we agree on these letters, so to speak. We agree on these truths. Well, the Holy Spirit allows all sorts of people to have all sorts of truth, okay? Um, Brother Rory reminded me on our way here at the Second Vatican Council, in Nostra Aetate, uh, there's a principle that the Catholic Church rejects nothing that is true and holy in the various religions of the world. Okay, The Catholic Church rejects nothing true and holy in all the religions of the world. Well, then, to be able to see how we can have a dialogue, because every religion, every philosophy, has something true, has something good. And we, rege- we reject nothing that is true. Uh, we reject nothing that is good. So then to be able to, to see that, and then to be able to have that conversation, okay? Because, uh, because sometimes people will slip into fundamentalism or relativism, and they don't really see how, you know, to be able to think about the Holy Spirit truth. Because if you have the truth, you know what you want more of? The truth. Uh, St. Augustine, in his uh, great work on the Trinity, says that when it comes to the truth, the intellectual matters about God, the spiritual things, the more you seek, the more you find, and the more you find, the more you want to seek. Okay? That there's an, something ongoing, because this is about something inexhaustible, a great mystery. Okay? It's not one plus one is two, okay, we move on from there. But in terms of that the truth leads us to the depths of God. All right? Number six, we can always remember that God is present one way or another. We can always remember that God is present one way or another. 
Some scholastics love the phrase that God is present by presence, essence, and power. St. Thomas writes, God is in all things by his power, inasmuch as all things are subject to his power. He is by his presence in all things, as all things are bare and open to his eyes. He is in all things by his essence, inasmuch as he is present to all as the cause of their being. Okay, so in terms of uh, that God, you, so in fact people talk about practicing the presence of God. Okay, when you have a good understanding of the Holy Spirit's work, okay, every truth by whomever said is from the Holy Spirit, then you actually can find God everywhere. Okay, and know that He's present in different ways, in different levels. Okay, uh, Louis Dupre, uh, who uh, was a great, who was a great scholar, uh, taught at Yale for uh, many years. Uh, I was able to hear him speak uh, about modernity. And he used the image of Michelangelo's creation of Adam. Do you remember the image of God and Adam with the fingers extended? And he said basically how that was disastrous. And I can never think about that painting in the same way. Because what he said is, there's a space between the two fingers. There's a space between them. There's a gap. But God is the God who um, actually doesn't have gaps. Okay. Uh, when I was a, a child, I don't know about your, uh, your childhood, uh, but there was a song, he's got the whole world in his hands, he got the whole world in his hands. Okay. Um, that's actually more true uh, than um, a painting that shows God uh, with a gap. Okay. Because God is always touching us, always holding us in existence. God is always present. He is the most imminent and the most transcendent. The most beautiful um, understanding of this uh, in terms of literature, I think, is St. Augustine's Confessions. Okay, because he, he came to understand, he was a materialist, actually, early on in his life, and he came to understand how God is not matter. Okay, God is some, uh, God is most imminent, go, most within him, and most transcendent. Okay, so then to be able to see in terms of, of the Holy Spirit's presence, that the Holy Spirit is always there. The Holy Spirit is always here. All right, and uh, the final one, number seven, is God is not in competition with creation. Both God and a creature can be the source of a truth or an action in different ways. Okay, so... God is not in competition with, with creation. So think about the phrase again, every truth by whomever is said is from the Holy Spirit. Okay? Uh, let's say Brother Rory says something, and it's true. Okay? Is that truth from him? Or is it from God? Well, he said it. In some way, it is from him. And it is from God. Why? Because it's true. Do you see then how, uh, with this, God is not in competition with creation? That uh, when, when we say something true, God is responsible, and yet he allows us to have a responsibility. There's the phrase, uh, I'm a pencil in God's hands. Have you ever heard that phrase? I'm a pencil in God's hands. Okay, it's beautiful. Um, it, it, it emphasizes that I'm an instrument. Okay, I'm an instrument. You know, God writes uh, with my poor instrument. Okay, that's great. 
The thing about it is that a pencil isn't rational. God made us to be rational. This means that God respects our rationality, and he wants us to think. And he wants us to think more and more about the truth. And then he wants us to talk. In fact, I think he wants us to preach, to be able to proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord. So then do you see how God takes up our instrumentality, which is rational thinking, okay? this, this idea of being human, created to his image, yeah, the one who knows and loves, that we're created to this, and we then uh, can say, Jesus is Lord. Okay? And how then uh, that comes from us, and it comes ultimately from God. Okay? So then to be able to see God is not in competition with his creation, but God ennobles creation to participate in him who is the first truth. So, uh, uh, to close the talk, and then we'll have time for some questions and answers, I just wanted to uh, us to listen to a little bit from the Book of Wisdom, chapter 7. Because when I hear, every truth by my said is from the Holy Spirit, I think about that line about how we and our words are in his hand. We, are in, we and our words are in his hand. God grant I speak suitably and value these endowments at their worth, for he is the guide of wisdom and the director of the wise. For both we and our words are in his hand. Thank you. Um, so, if I speak truth but I do it to injure someone, so I do it not from like a place of charity, right. but to interesting. Would we say that is a movement of the Holy Spirit? I'm not necessarily possessed by the Holy Spirit, but right. if I, if I tell someone a truth about their appearance or about their right. or, whatever their yes. you know capabilities, but right. I'm doing it to hurt them. Yes, okay. So like one sin of this is called detraction. So slander is when you say something false about a person. Detraction is when you say something true about a person that's actually hurtful. Okay, because not every true thing needs to be said. Okay, so if, you, if we just think about how, you know, to say something uh, uh, is true, and someone say, well, it's true, okay, or, uh, or to say something, you know, I want to hurt you, so I'm going to say something, you know, really mean, I'm not going to help you, I want to hurt you, okay. Well, what would be from the Holy Spirit, and what would be from you, in terms of what would be a disorder, the evil? Because uh, God... Uh, uh, God is the author of all goodness, of all love, of all beauty, of all truth. Um, but we corrupt things. We have our, our, our rational will, um, and we, uh, God declines to prevent us from sinning at different times. Okay? So in terms of thinking about, oh, uh, you know, St. Thomas uses the line from Scripture, destruction is thine own Israel, um, that sometimes... Uh, 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 we sin and we're the ones who are responsible for the corruption of it but there is something true there because after all it is true we we are the ones who have misused the truth yeah, yeah. thank you yes yeah now it's a common use but uh, where is the goodness the good in for example the holocaust yes yeah so this is where in terms of uh, to think about people Okay, so actually, the Holocaust is such a terrible evil because of the great good that is there, the great good of people. People's lives were destroyed. Okay, so millions and millions of people's lives, particularly the Jewish people, 
So then to be able to see how, because it's such a horrible evil, there was such a wonderful good of human life. Right? And that we are called to, to help one another. So in terms of, um, if, I do something for, if I do something for someone, that is meant to be a good. But if I, if I kill the person, rather than help the person, I have corrupted that, um, that idea of being in society. Okay? So that society then has been, has been uh, destroyed, has been corrupted because of my sin. But the idea of doing something to someone, okay? it, normally um, that's considered a good thing. Okay? Because we're actually meant to be in a society. So precisely because um, you think about it, how horrible of an evil it is, it's because it's so horrible of an evil, you can think about the great good that um, is, was meant to be there. Okay? Because if, if, it wasn't, um, if it wasn't a great good there, you couldn't have a great evil. Okay? And, and just think about how wonderful human life is, and about being in society, and being able to be with one another. Okay? Being with one another... Is, uh, St. Thomas says when you, when you go to um, uh, principles of, of the natural law that truth forms society. Okay? So uh, think about the lies that were told uh, concerning the Holocaust okay? and, and that are still being told in different ways. Um, so uh, how s truth is meant for us to be together in society and without truth, society fall, falls apart. Okay? So that the that there's a corruption of the truth. Thank you. Yes? So can evil be then seen as a corruption of good? Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. Evil is a, is a privation of the good, and particularly a privation that's a corruption. That's exactly it. So some good would always exist in something, but then that good gets then um, like infiltrated by evil. Yeah, that's elements. right. Yes, right. Mm -hmm. Yes. So does evil exist then, or what is evil? That's right. So this is, uh, this is a, a great question. Uh, so in terms of existing, because uh, it depends on what you mean by evil. An evil thing okay, is always in reference to something that exists, which by its existence is good. Okay? Um, evil in terms of an act, actually, uh, you know, that action was evil. Well, the action existed, and it was disordered. Okay? So in terms of uh, to be able to think to make some distinctions about an evil as a thing or as an existing, yeah, yes. So it's just a lack of good. Well, in terms of just a, it's a lack of good, and it's a lack of good that that you call as evil. Okay, because uh, we're going to eat pizza, right? We're going to have pizza afterwards. Um, uh, you know, if I've already had six pieces of pizza, okay, and there's no more uh, no more pizza left for me to eat. I may not, and you may not think that that's evil, but that's a lack of good. Okay, right? This one, um, evil isn't just simply a lack of good, but a privation or corruption uh, that, uh, that uh, it's like, oh, you know, if people don't have anything to eat, that would, be, that would be a sort of evil. Okay? It doesn't mean that somebody's necessarily at fault, um, uh, but, uh, but it does mean that there's something evil. Okay, because there should be something. Every human being should have something to eat. Yep. But uh, does the good needs the evil in, uh, reversely? So do you need, for example, do you need the loneliness to see the good in community? 
Okay. So there's this community good by itself, for example, uh, or do you need loneliness to see, okay, it's okay. nicer to be in a group of people instead of being alone? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. I would like to think of it from the vantage point of those who know what is really true and good and beautiful, they're the best to be able to know how horrible it is to have the lack of them. Okay? So this is where, in terms of, uh, uh, let's take Our Lady, okay, who was, uh, in terms of the Immaculate Conception, she, by her, um, by her, the beauty of her soul, knows um, uh, what it means to have the truth, and because of her, she, didn't ha she did not experience sin in terms of her own sin, but she, then she experienced sin in terms of what was done to her son. Okay? Do you see how she was most conscious of the meaning of the act because of her holiness? Those who have um, the most experience of something good can judge that which is evil. People who are brought up in ways that actually looking back, it's like, oh, that was evil, that was wrong, I didn't even know it was wrong. They have to have some experience of a good or of a truth or of a beauty to be able to judge, oh, you know, I thought something was wrong, but I couldn't name it. Now I can name it. All right, so I want to emphasize that. And then experientially, uh, uh, sometimes people think, you know, I didn't realize how good I had it, okay, until I lost it. Okay, so this is where, in terms of, you know, like the pain of love, okay, so sometimes people take someone that they love for granted. Uh, and then they lose that one in some way, uh, and then it's like okay, uh, and then and then uh, the person then finds a new love, okay, or the person who's hungry, okay, it's correct, you're being hungry, uh, and then and it's like it's only when you actually have a hunger that you really see the pizza is really good, because if you're just completely bloated with pizza, oh, I can't eat another bite because frankly. You can't, in terms of you have no desire, it's not attractive. Okay? Uh, but here, uh, uh, to think about in terms of the society, that, uh, that, that you can look at it from both directions because we have mixed experiences. You know, to be able to see, in terms of the goodness of the society, oh, that's wrong, people should be getting along. Or from being in, the, uh, in something where it's like uh, they're very unfriendly, and you come to a place, gee, everybody's nice. They're actually good to me. How it can it can work both ways. Do you have time for one more question? Okay. <clears throat> if all truth comes from the Holy Spirit, does all falsehood come from Satan? And if he's not the like original source, is yeah. he as, as the Father of Lies involved this, in every falsehood? Yeah. So this is where, in terms of uh, falsehood, uh, the Father of Lies. Okay. So to be able to see okay, that is what our Lord calls Satan, the Father of Lies. And that, in some sense, uh, uh, he had because of his um, of his of his own fall, that he has something uh, at work in lies. Okay, um, you can also think about how, in terms of the temptations and sin, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay, are uh, three classical sources of thinking about temptations. So the devil is actually one of the three. Okay. So this is where, in terms of, sometimes people are a little bit too quick to say, the devil made me do it, or the devil, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, there are other things that work too, uh, but the, the, there's something uh, very powerful about that corruption 
uh, that is in Satan, that he can be called the father of lies. Okay? But, uh, and then just, if I make, make a distinction, um, lying particularly is a sin because you know what is true and you have said something to deceive someone. If someone is just ignorant, that person's not lying. If someone um, has changed his mind later, that's not necessarily lying. Okay? Like, oh, I was going to do, you know, you said yesterday that you were going to go so sooner. Yes, I did, but I changed my mind. Okay? I, I, I didn't lie. Okay? Or if I said, in terms of uh, Ambrosiaster was active as a priest during the pontificate of St. Damasus. But if I said, uh, not Damasus, uh, if I said, oh, Gregory the Great, okay? Well, uh, if I didn't know better, uh, I'd just be making a mistake like that. Uh, but uh, by, by now know, it's Damasus, so I'm saying Damasus. But if I slipped and said Gregory the Great, because I'm thinking about Gregory the Great, you'd say, oh, he didn't lie, he just made a mistake. Okay? And the devil isn't necessarily responsible for mistakes. Okay, good. So thank you very much. I look forward to the pizza. Yet, so oh, just okay. for a bit, but I'm sure it's on the way. Okay, I'll start recordings. Can I just ask a clarification? Yes. So, um, if I said if I replace also with lies, we know that uh, the world or the flesh or the devil can be the can be the source, I suppose, of of that lie. Even though I know that, like we ascend to that with our free will, <clears throat> but is the devil in some way in, involved in every lie, even if he's not the Ultimate source. Um, uh, maybe. I, uh, maybe that's just speculative. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think? Um, I think what's the thing the devil? The devil's a creature, an angel. Yeah. He, he was corrupted. Mm. Whereas God, when you talk about, for example, God and his essence, yeah. power, the devil doesn't have those things. No, he's not the power. God creates literally <laughs> everything. He's literally present everywhere. So uh, he did things in the past, and he keeps things in being. Yeah. The devil has existed since a certain time in the beginning, but he's not present everywhere. He's not, he may, in some sense, because at the start he did the first the first sin, yeah. and all the mistakes in yeah. some way go back to that. Yeah. Okay. And, and as a chronological chain, for example, your great, 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 great grandparents, if they weren't here, you wouldn't be here. But, and if they are here, they're still not responsible for everything you do. You, in some sense, are responsible. So in that sense, he does have some sort of chain to the back but he's not literally responsible because God is responsible because for every truth because he is constantly present in everything at every moment sustaining it the devil isn't like that but he is in some sense a causal chain you can go yeah. right back to any evil yeah. perhaps even the natural evil in some sense has something to do with something that the angels did in the past or, yeah. or they're not doing something because they refuse to say do good how much good could have been done if they did good how, how did that affect? How does that affect us? How does that affect other people? That again, that's privation. That's them not doing anything. For example, the doctor doesn't help somebody. It's not an act of evil. It's a, well, it is in a sense it's a privation, but it's not killing somebody. It's not going to help. So yeah. So that's a different type of yeah, yeah, privation. That makes sense. Thanks for it. Thanks for it. Oh, we're still waiting for the pizzas. What was the problem with the Latin averroists that you? You, you know some things through theology and you know other things through reason or you know some things through faith and other things through reason what's, what's the problem? their problem was not just some things through faith some things through reason but the opposite 
Okay. Like a conflict. Yes, a conflict. Okay. So in terms of the, uh, you know uh, X is this way. So in terms of the example of uh, of Easter, uh, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. Okay. And then nobody rises from the dead. I mean, this, this, we know that. Is that what everyone thought in the Middle Ages? Or no. So uh, it, so Latinoverism is actually more sophisticated and it's more complicated. But people still, like in philosophy classes, will sometimes uh, say it's Latinoverist with a double truth theory. Okay, so. Uh, Does it violate the principle of contradiction? Yeah, so, be, well, so what they would say is that it's just completely split. So rather than God is the source of all truth, of both faith and reason, um, that you really can do some things uh, in terms of faith and some things in terms of reason, and usually. Of the two, reason wins out over faith. Okay, because because after all, uh, you know, reason. Do we not think that? Oh, sorry. Yeah, go sorry, sorry. Do we not think that reason wins out over faith? Okay, so faith is always um, uh, actually so. Just as grace depends upon nature, in the sense that you can't find grace without nature, you can't find faith without reason, and faith actually perfects reason in certain ways. Okay, so in terms of our, the knowledge that we need to get to heaven uh, is a knowledge especially by faith. But you can't have, you can't say, Jesus Christ is Lord. You can't say that if you don't know how to speak a sentence. Okay, now it's like, do you need to speak a sentence in order to, uh, in order to uh, get to heaven? Not necessarily, but you need to be able to speak a sentence in order to say Jesus Christ is Lord. You need to be able to think in order to make an act of faith. No one makes an act of faith without making an act of thought. Okay? So sometimes people will say, oh, uh, those people um, are, are fideists. Uh, they don't have reason. We, if you're, um, I, I'm not a fideist. Um, so I would emphasize it's precisely because I can think that I'm believing. If I didn't think, I couldn't believe. So that's why in terms of that... Um, Faith is, uh, is to reason like grace is to nature. Uh, yeah, I want to come back to my uh, question I uh, asked before. So, if uh, does the good need the evil more than the evil needs the good? Just uh, to, 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 to give an example here, um, the, the topic of hunger, as you mentioned it. So if, you're, if I'm saturated uh-huh. all the time yeah. and I have never been hungry, uh-huh. maybe I don't uh, uh, think or don't know how it is. Um, uh, I can't. Uh, the, the good, the good thing of being not hungry, I can't see it as a good thing until I am hungry. So, yes. um, so does the good needs the evil more? So in in this case, the evil would be bigger than the good because the evil needs the good. Uh, the good needs the evil, but not the evil the good. Okay. So this is where... Uh, uh, okay. So in terms of uh, goodness and evil concerning this, uh, uh, right now, because we get hungry, we think food is really good. Right? In heaven, let's take, let's take the resurrected uh, body. Jesus proves that he's uh, bodily because he eats. Okay. So that was one of the signs of it. Um, he actually didn't need to eat. Okay? So in terms of the goodness of the resurrected body, 
classically, the resurrected body doesn't need any food. Why? Because the resurrected body is filled with glory, and it's a different form of life. It's not just simply, so St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, what is sown is perishable, is corruptible, what rises is imperishable, is glorious. Okay, it's a spiritual body. So then, it, just in terms of this example, it's like, okay, during this life on earth, actually getting hungry is a sort of evil. It would be better, um, uh, in some sense, just to be able to, uh, not to experience the hunger. But during this life on earth, actually the hunger allows us to know uh, we're dependent upon food, we're animals. Okay, we're not angels, we're animals. We need food and drink uh, to be able to live. Okay, so, but in the, in the resurrected body, um, uh, uh, we really think that um, life will change, there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, where you don't need, actually, any of this. Okay, so this is where, in terms of the good uh, uh, and evil, I don't think good means evil. Okay, but evil is always parasitic to a good. It, but you can debate in terms of the, the terms. Okay. okay. Then, and this is where, in terms of, you know, like a, uh, uh, like a lion eating a, a little uh, antelope, a little deer or something. Well, uh, it's good for the lion, but it's bad for the deer. Right? Okay, so this is where, uh, in some sense, uh, the good of the lion is dependent upon the evil for the deer. Yeah. Yeah, but if, for example, if you see uh, people dying, if you're, you're a child and you never have experienced uh, a, um, a relative uh, that has died, and then you, your first experience with the death is that your aunt, your uncle dies, and then um, does this then maybe you start evaluating the, the, the worth of life or evaluating life more than before? So, does yes. evaluating life as a child <laughs> need yes. some kind of experience of death? Or the absence of life to, to value it, so that would be the same idea. So you need the evil of dying well, in terms of to value the, life. Yeah, well, in terms of the way that, because uh, we live in the Valley of Tears, okay, so like, um, God did not make death in the Book of Wisdom. And so there's just, um, there are all sorts of evils in this life, and it's only by faith that we can understand, oh, that's actually bad. Okay, so in terms of, because people um, people may just say, oh, death is. Death is uh, so, uh, so I, uh, and I, in terms of hearing other people on this too, uh, uh, I think that uh, the child, okay, the child who experiences death, then can have a greater good. St. Paul says in a letter to the Romans, God brings good even out of evil. Okay, right, so God brings good out of evil. And how... Uh, how a child who experiences an evil of a death can have something good come out of it. Okay? Because it's, it's, it's God's power. God who created out of nothing can bring good out of evil. So St. Augustine talked about